Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. We'll be looking at some of the tech tracking. How do we, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and then also the marketing. How are we going to have people take it? And how are they going to know about it? All those things. So exciting topic today. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. So you ready to get the vaccine, Colin? Uh, sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. I, I got to wait for the approval. I'm not signing up yet. I, mean, I guess some <laughs> people are, right? I mean, it's interesting, those people that go and get in the trial, right? And they're willing yeah. to do that. I mean, they're almost heroes in their own right for doing it. Although it's kind of, I mean, that makes sense, you know, that they're going to monitor you and keep track of you. So it's pretty safe. But uh yeah, it's going to be interesting, that whole challenge of will people want to do it? But I think even more than, you know, will people want the vaccine? Because I think we all want to go back to normal and we all hope that the vaccine is that elixir to get us back to normal and being able to do things. So I think they'll want to, but how are we going to track it is a, such a challenging, challenging problem. I mean, we've already solved interoperability in healthcare, right? <laughs> Course, right? And we all we have no problem with patient IDs and identification, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's all solved. So we're all ready for it. <laughs> no, but I mean that <laughs> I don't know if people understand sarcasm. No, <laughs> I mean it's it's it, it is such a mess in healthcare, right? And then apply that to a vaccine that's gonna be rolled out in a manner that's so quick and to so many people, like I, you know, I just, I, I'm afraid of what that's going to look like and how is that going to happen? You know, I, I wish that the government in particular, because I think they have to lead the charge on this. If they don't, then I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, if they don't lead the charge on making sure, let's just start with identification, that the right patient is being ID'd with that vaccine. One, so we know what vaccine they've gotten and that they got a vaccine, but knowing what vaccine they have is gonna be really important to do the observational studies that are gonna be needed because we've rolled it out so quickly. If we don't do that the right way and we don't know, hey, these are the, oh man, it's hard to even say these numbers. Here's the 10 million people <laughs> that got this vaccine from this lot number, from this thing. And here's a way to identify them and notify them that that's what happened. That's a, that's going to be scary if we don't have that. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just for alone, if, you know, just knowing what we know right now, but the, the vaccines, it's going to require boosters. Right. And what's unclear right now is like, are the timing of the boosters the same? Because, you know, if I got the one from this company, does that mean I have to come back two years or is it three years or is it like 26 months or so just tracking it alone is going to be needed to know when you have to recall people to, to get the booster shot. Um, but you're right as well. Like if there's any hope of using whether or not you got the vaccine for some you know, admission to on an airplane or go to an amusement park, there's some talk about using the, you know, using that level of, uh, of information. Well, then you better have a pretty accurate database. 
and it better be shared nationally because otherwise who, how are you going to tap into it? Like if I got my shot right now, it, like if I went to um, one health system to get my shot uh, and then like I go to another state, how is that state like facilities going to access that record? I mean, we can't even do that today with ourselves as patients, let alone letting a third party try to get a hold of it. So I think there's definitely a lot of issues to be solved, not least of which in my mind is the pre-work to even triage. Um, like, are you a nurse? Are you a frontline worker? Are you in the military? Are you, you know, a police officer, a fire, uh, a fire person? You know, those are the people that you know, need to get the um, vaccine first, as well as the elderly and so forth. So just screening people and getting some sort of order of who gets it first, that's just a logistics nightmare as well. You know, and yeah. so, you know, does that mean people have to sign up for it and pre-book and do all those kinds of things? So that's going to be pretty interesting. It's a technical nightmare, right? Of uh, how do you decide who gets it and, you know, based on the data and how do you identify them and then communicate to them that, you know, hey, you've been selected, you can come and get this. But it's also a challenge of politically who should get this, right? Yeah, and course. I think, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the testing strategy or, or lack of strategy that we had and all the news sources that we're talking about. Wait, how did the NBA do so many tests? Oh, so rich people are able to get the test. Are we going to go through that same news cycle with the vaccine where rich people can get the vaccine, but poor people, you know, aren't going to be doing it, disadvantaged aren't, other people, you know, that need it, the frontline healthcare workers, did they not get it? You know, there's a PR issue there even if it's not a realistic one, because I think I've everything I've heard said, yeah, frontline healthcare workers are going to get it first, which I actually love because it goes back to the trust thing. The frontline healthcare workers, if they don't trust the vaccine, they're not going to get it, but they're going to go and look at the studies. They're going to look at the results and the findings of what's been done. And they've done this before with other vaccines and with other treatments. So they understand how to read that. They're going to be able to add some added trust if they decide to do it. So hopefully they'll get it the right one. But beyond them, it's a crapshoot in my mind. It is. And, you know, who knows what the distribution network is going to be? You know, is it going to be centralized through the government? Is it going to be distributed through pharmacies or to healthcare providers, or maybe even your, your, um, your primary care, right? You know, there, there really isn't, hasn't been a lot of talk around that in either country, Canada or the U.S., just around how this is going to be nationally distributed at, at this scale. Well, let's um, be honest, it's going to be all of those. Right? Probably, like, probably. I think. And it probably needs to be, right? Just given the volume of people that we have to, that are, wanting, are going to want to get it uh, and, the, and the lack of supply that we're going to have at the beginning until they get it ramped up to speed. Um, but I think we were talking before we started recording, John, you know, you brought up the flu um, vaccines and, and we already have other vaccines, right? Like it's not, this is not our first vaccine, the COVID-19 yeah. one, but it is interesting because there are some companies out there that are using this flu season as a trial balloon or a trial period for what could happen or could be for when COVID-19 hits. And I'll just give you a quick example. There's a company I'm, I'm advising that's called um, Med Medicist. And they make a tool for independent pharmacies to allow them to, you know, have people book online and do the social distancing thing in so that, you know, especially for independent pharmacies, they tend to be in small rural towns. And so, you know, you can book online when you see the pharmacist. And so that way, you know, there are not more than three or four people in the pharmacy at one time, right? It makes uh. total sense. 
Uh, but what they did was they allowed now people to pre-book your flu shot because there's two versions of the flu, depending on how old you are and what category you're in. So it asks some screening questions when you book, and then it pre-booked it. And a couple of towns and a couple of uh, areas uh, where they had deployed the solution, they were able to order the right amount of flu vaccine for their community beforehand, right? And then it arrived and they actually had enough. Whereas some places like Toronto, for example, there's a shortage. We can't, you can't get a flu shot right now because they didn't order enough. But through, the, through this tool and through this app, they were able to get a sense of how much they needed. They ordered the right amount. And then they did that thing you're talking about, matching. They said, okay, you know, Mrs. Smith, you can come in now. We've got your vaccine because you need the high dose one. And we've got you in at 9 a.m. on Thursday. And of course, you get the reminder through the app and you come in, you get the shot. And you know, now they're able to track that Mrs. Smith did get the shot and this, she got the one that was meant for her. And uh, now they have a, a record of all of it. And right, you know, they're trying to figure out now how to, how to get this submitted to the right authorities, but that's the <laughs> beginning of it. Well, and I think that's some cool technology. And I think there's so many elements to this that are a tech challenge and need more of a centralized view of it. Um, you know, you're talking about do you have enough of the vaccine to be able to do it? And how many do you need, right? And, and kind of predictive analytics around how many shots are going to be needed and what's type, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's also interesting because every state has their own immunization registry. I think every state, most of them do. <laughs> you have to, yep. to get in school, et cetera, right? So, uh, you know, every state that I know of has it. And so what role are those going to play? Mm. And are they ready for this influx of data, it was largely for children in the past, or you know, Hawaii did it actually. You have to have a TB shot when you go to Hawaii, right? So there's all these unique immunization registries. Should those play a role? And why haven't they been tapped into? And why aren't we seeing more planning around that? That's a that's a little scary to me too. There was an interesting article from Redox recently on healthcare IT today, and they argued maybe the private the private organizations should go and solve this patient matching problem, this patient ID problem. Let's stop relying on the government to try to do it because we know how that works or hasn't worked for a long time. Should the private organizations come together and create a framework to be able to solve that problem? Is that the, you know, is that the solution? I don't know. Right now there's more questions than there are answers. No, you're right. I mean, and there's so many layers to this, right? John, from a technology, you just, you brought up another one how do we make those uh, immunization uh, databases interoperable? Because I'm bet you they're not even, no one ever thought about that, right? Like, well, there was no need, there was no demand for it, right? right? You know, exactly. so that if there's no demand, they don't do it. <laughs> right, but now, like you think about it, of course, like schools maybe were the only ones tapping into that because it was mostly for children to make sure that, you know, they were safe to be in school together or, or if there was an outbreak, they kind of can figure out, okay, who isn't immunized and therefore they're at risk. But now like, businesses may want this, uh, you know, healthcare organizations are going to need this. And, and so, yeah, making this across state lines as well uh, is going to be quite interesting. So unfortunately, uh, Colin, it's more archaic than that. Uh, you know, you have your Canadian view, unfortunately, here's how, here's how it worked. It actually was empowered patient, I guess, in some respects, it was sneaker net, right? Me as mom <laughs> and dad, we print it out and we take it to the school. It wasn't like the school goes to the immunization registry and finds it that, you know, it should happen that way. And why it doesn't is a different issue, but 
<laughs> it's sneaker net right now. So, you know, like that's unfortunately how it is. But yeah, I mean, it bring up, you bring up a great point. Are you going to be able to go to a football game it, without some sort of proof that you've been immunized? It's an interesting question. And it seems somewhat, I mean, I think we actually talked about this a few episodes back. You know, do you have to have proof of immunization or proof of a had COVID to be able to go to an activity? It's very likely that that's going to be the case, at least for some period of time. Yeah, I mean, we're getting into more of the ethics and things, right? But, you know, um, there is a case to be perhaps to be made that, you know, for example, if you do not require people to wear masks who have been immunized, let's say in your stadium or in your facility, and someone, you don't do this, don't have access to this proper screening, or you're not able to prove um, that, then there's a lot of liability that can go on here, right? And I think that's actually the bigger deterrent, right? Um, In terms of, well, if you didn't put in the right protocol and you don't screen properly or don't check this database, if it is available to you, and then someone does get uh, the disease at your, well, at your event, well, you know, is that, you know, could they sue you? The answer is probably, yeah. And that to me is the big deterrent (laughs) that would force people to really adopt this and, uh, or, or maybe just go blanket and go, you know what, we're still going to, adhere to the protocol and so everybody regardless of whether you have the immunization or not just has to continue to wear masks while in here yeah well we're seeing that i mean every state passed a different legal thing which you know that's going to be a mess too legally right Uh, i know in nevada they passed it if you're following the state guidelines then you have some immunity but if you're not then you don't Right. And, and and then they, they but interestingly they carved out teachers and healthcare organizations that doesn't apply to them i would i'm like anyway <laughs> but the, every state is going to be different right like every state is going to have different laws so if i want to travel to a byu football game against alabama that's gonna i'm gonna have to like look it up and say what's their law there and what do i need to bring to prove and what if i fly there and i get to the stadium and they're like oh sorry we we only support you know xyz standard we don't do abc standard and i'll be like wait i flew all the way out here to go to a game and i can't go that's crazy to think about yeah but i I think i agree i totally agree with you john at the very basic we need to track who got what vaccine and i think you know good news is i think people are going to track that the problem is you know can that be tracked in a way that's easily accessible by multiple parties that is going to be a challenge but i think definitely people are going to um, have this tracked. I think for the, you know, I think the CDC is going to want this data eventually. So I think it'll get solved. I just think it'll be slow. Yeah. Um, I also think to your point that, you know, there has to be uh, some sort of element of um, uh, screening and, you know, just to make sure that, you know, the right people are getting it and all those kinds of things. So there's a lot of technology that's going to come into play and it'll be interesting to see because it is like a compressed window. Now we're talking about the next few months. It's not like a year or two from now. It's like the next few months we got we got someone's gonna have to figure this out, and uh, it's gonna be quite fun to see how it gets get solved. You call that fun? I call that a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung, and today we're talking about the COVID nineteen vaccine. And uh, John, I think maybe let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the challenge of actually marketing this vaccine and and getting people to take it. And uh, I think there is definitely going to be high demand, but there's probably some people who are going to be a little bit cautious to go, you know what, I may wait this one out. So how are we going to, what's your take on, on how or what needs to happen in order to encourage more people to take 
vaccine should it be proven that it's it's safe yeah you know i i think it begs the question who is responsible for this and I, I think that's actually true on the tech side as well, right? Who should be tracking the tech and knowing who got which vaccine, but on the marketing side as well, whose job is it to market it? And, you know, I don't know if there's clear answers. So, I mean, if we just talk about from the healthcare organization perspective, which is what we cover mostly here at Healthcare IT Today, are most healthcare organizations going to really double down their efforts to try to get the vaccine marketed to their communities? Uh, first, there's probably going to be a supply problem. So maybe it's not an issue in the beginning, <clears throat> but as it goes on, how do you get those invisibles, right? That's been a problem in healthcare for a long time. The invisibles, the people who you know are costing the system money, but we ha don't have a way to connect with them and we don't have a way to you know reach out to them. I think there's going to be invisibles on the vaccine side that we want to have come and get the vaccine, but we're not going to be able to get to them. So is that going to be the health system's responsibility? Is that the government's responsibility? Is it both? Is it, is it the community's responsibility? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's going to be clear responsibility. It's, I mean, it's probably going to be a team lift, but uh, yeah, without responsibility and, and, you know, doing it, then you get all sorts of results. I think, uh, you know, and this is purely conjecture on my part, but I wonder if local BIAs will be the big driver for getting, getting convincing people to get the vaccine because they'll want the businesses to reopen. They want their communities to be back in business. And so would they, would they kind of take on the challenge of, hey, let's, as a community, let's rally behind us. Let's make sure we all get the vaccine. Therefore, we can, you know, operate and, and without, without having to worry about, you know, social distancing and closing down and all those kinds of things. Because so I think on a, on a very local level, that, that might make sense because they're, they have the incentive to do that. I mean, a hospital has an incentive too, but, but in, a, in a way, not really, because they're already marketing for all these other things. Like why, why should they spend more money to market a vaccine that pretty much there's going to be high demand for, right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, you're so right about the invisibles. Like there are a lot of people who still, you know, use an, an ED or, or use a healthcare system who don't have a permanent address uh, who maybe only have a phone, you know, they don't really use email. Like, how are you going to get a hold of these people to get them to come in for this um, and convince that, hey, this is a good idea to get this vaccine? Um, yeah, business will drive it, right? I mean, <laughs> when you, if you want to get into your favorite bar, then you're going to need to have something and you'll be motivated to get out there and do it. So I, I think that that's a, that's a really interesting opportunity. I think there's something else we could share that, you know, I actually saw firsthand that, you know, I advise a company called Care Cognitics and uh, they've been working with an organization to roll out their, their flu vaccine strategy. So kind of similar to what you were saying, and they were seeing an explosion of people who want to get the flu vaccine. So I think that's a good sign, first of all. Uh, second of all is now they've created, because they're using a tech tool to administer their flu vaccine, they now have information on that patient that just got the flu vaccine. And so they can use that information to understand first who should get it. So, you know, back to our original question of how, who should get it. Second, how do they like to be engaged? 
Do they like a phone call? Do they like a text? Do we have their mobile? Do we have their email? And so they have a, this whole marketing platform and they're filling in the marketing platform using the flu vaccine, mm -hmm. which I think is a really great approach because if I've trusted you enough to get the flu vaccine, I probably will trust you if you're going to give me the COVID-19 vaccine. And, and, you know, if a healthcare organization is willing to give it, they probably have done the review to know that the vaccine and the studies that were done for the vaccine are something that they should, con you know, have, that they've considered and are safe for their patients to take. So I wonder how many healthcare organizations are looking at it from that regard, which is, Am I creating the marketing platform for the COVID-19 vaccine using the flu vaccine? I thought that was a cool approach to be able to solve like, okay, how are we going to then reach out to them and connect with them and let them know, hey, you can come get the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, it's a great, it's a great point you make, John. And I would say it could even be extended beyond the flu vaccine, right? Like any vaccine, if you got the shingles yeah. vaccine, if you got, you know, anything, you know, if you're going on vacation, you got one of those vaccines for, for the diseases overseas, like you're a candidate because you obviously trust vaccines. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, you're a user of them. And, and yeah, that's a great point. Like, could you go back and use prior vaccinations as a, as a, um, a marketing tool or marketing database to say, okay, these are the people that, that are more likely to to want it and want to get it. So let's go ahead and connect with them and bring them in and get them to come in. Um, yeah, and why can't that, we do that with digital check-in as well, right? If I have you checking in digitally for it, then you know I you know I'm essentially building my database of potential patients that could have COVID nineteen. It's not quite as good as the flu because you know if they've taken a vaccine, like you said. Uh, but, you know, should we be creating these digital connections to patients to be able to inform them that, hey, a vaccine's ready? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I mean, we're all suffering from COVID. Are these provider organizations spending the time they need to to build this a model to be able to roll out the vaccine? Uh, I hope so. I hope so too. And, and that's going to be key is, is demand, right? Really judging demand and knowing how much is it. And this is a worldwide problem. It's not just the United yeah, States, right? I mean, everywhere around the world, every jurisdiction is going to have this issue. And, and so I think in general, we know we need billions of doses. Right? <laughs> the question is, where do we need them and how, who gets them you know, delivered and how, because it, even the logistics of these vaccines, they have to be stored at very, very cold temperatures. This is not something that just sort of ships on a standard truck, right? And it has to be stored in, in, in interest, in, you know, in, in uh, special places and special ways. So it's going to be quite challenging it, unless we do have something that can tell us how many people want this to, to start with, right? So we know, okay, we need about 50,000 right away uh, here. We need 150,000 over here. And I, again, I hope we start to hear some of these plans start being made because otherwise it'll just be chaos, right? When this rolls out. No, you bring up some really interesting points around understanding what the demand and the need is like not even, I mean, you may say your demand is 50,000, but if I could only get you 10,000, should I even ship them? Or should I say, hey, well, 10,000 is not going to do anything for you. I, I'm not, you know, obviously we're not public health experts that are going to have to dig in and say, I need 30,000 vac vaccinations in this community of 100,000 or whatever the number is. And if I send you 10,000, I mean, I guess I'm, you know, it makes sense for some frontline workers and things like that, but I'm not creating the herd immunity from vaccination that needs to be done. So are they gonna start prioritizing areas based on demand? Uh, and then and now imagine you're the public health expert for 
your state for Nevada, for your territory, you know, and now you're like, I need the data to know how many people are vaccinated so that I can create the state policies around masks, around all of these things. And if they don't have that data, not to go back to the tech again, right? Like, but if they don't have that data, are they going to be able to make the policies that they need to make? That's going to be a challenge. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll, I'll go back too to something you said earlier, John, about one way that I think people can be convinced that this is safe um, because that is a concern, right? There's there, and, and it's rightfully so. It's a new vaccine. It's been rushed. It's the fastest sure. vaccine creation we've seen in humankind. Uh, and, and, and there's some question as to whether or not, you know, did people cut corners? Is this truly safe? Yeah. And, but I think to your, you made your point earlier. I think if healthcare frontline people take the vaccine, and they believe in it and they come out and say that, Hey, I took the vaccine cause I believe in it. And we've done, we've looked at it and we believe in it. Then I think people's sentiment will turn, right? Because it was safe enough for the nurses to take. Yeah. Um, then, it, you know, okay. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll start to take it too. Cause they're, they're the ones that are going to, their unions for sure are going to be like, okay, let's take a look at this, make sure yeah. it's got the That's efficacy. Right. It's going to, you know, it can't be 100% safe. I'm sure there are going to be people who have bad reactions to it. But people have bad reactions to the flu shot too, right? It's just, right. you know, hopefully it's just a low percentage and a low acuity. So, but I think that'll go very far. And I think that's probably the best kind of PSA that you could you, you could do is kind of have like the mayor stand up and say they took it and have your local business community kind of stand up and say, I took it because I believe, you know, it's safe and I want to do this for my community. And I could just see that string of commercials starting, right? Yeah, but sure. I think that's going to be very key is to get these people to kind of say that they took it and uh and go from there in terms of convincing people i was talking to someone today and they said we need to look at the polio vaccine and what what broke the dam there if you will that made everyone say okay i can take the polio vaccine do you know what it was no i don't it was elvis taking it on on camera he took the polio vaccine and oh elvis took it then yeah we can take it so who is the elvis of the covid19 vaccine (laughs) my argument to him was essentially what you said it's going to be 500 stars right Right. it's going to be 5,000 movie stars leaders influential people they're all going to take it and then you say okay then i think we're okay we probably can do this right yeah i mean i guess maybe maybe taylor swift Maybe maybe T Swift would be the one. I don't know. She's the Elvis of our generation. She, maybe she might just cut maybe the closest to Elvis, or maybe, or maybe BTS. I don't know. I was gonna say Beyonce, maybe more than T Swift. <laughs> that's, that's tough. That's a whole other podcast and a whole other episode <laughs> to talk about that debate. But oh goodness. Well, listen. Thank you to all of you who've tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening. 